The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Let's get to the Tesla story next. As Brian mentioned, a new daily record and that story from Bloomberg's Denise Pellegrini. The electric vehicle maker delivered a record 466,140 cars worldwide in the second quarter, and that is way more than the analyst estimate of 448,000 and change. This is also dramatically higher than a year ago. Deliveries are up 83% by that measure. The Model 3 and the Model Y together account for 96% of Tesla's global deliveries, and the delivery gains come amid persistent price cuts by Tesla. An inventory overhang, though, it is still casting a bit of a shadow on things Tesla is is still producing more cars than it's delivering. Tesla handed over at least 13,000 fewer cars, as a matter of fact, than it produced in this latest quarter. Denise Pellegrini, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. In the meantime, China's biggest EV maker, BYD, sold more than a quarter of a million vehicles in the month of June alone. Bloomberg's Eric Lam has the story from Hong Kong. China's top EV makers generally saw a big return of demand in June. BYD sold more than 253,000 units, dwarfing other manufacturers. That's up from 239,000 in May. Li Auto sold more than 32,000 in June for the first time ever. China last month extended a tax break for consumers buying clean cars through 2027. Overall, the pace of deliveries for clean cars in China has been slowing. But June's numbers will be seen as encouraging for the industry. In Hong Kong, I'm Eric Lam, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. China is on a buying spree when it comes to natural gas. Officials want importers to continue striking deals, even though the energy crisis has eased a bit. Sources say the government is hoping to boost its energy security through the middle of the century. Now, China is on track to be the world's top importer of liquefied natural gas in 2023. Other importers, this would include India, are also looking to sign more deals. The plan here is to avoid future shortages and curb dependence on spot deliveries. China is locking in contracts at a very rapid pace. So far this year, 33% of long-term LNG volumes have gone to China. Brian? Well, Australian house prices rose at a slower pace than expected last month, leaving tomorrow's Reserve Bank of Australia meeting delicately poised, as it were. Let's get more from Bloomberg's Paul Allen. House price growth across Australia slowed in June to 1.2% from the 1.4% recorded in May. Prices in Sydney still climbed strongly, with supply shortages among a range of factors driving prices and rents higher, despite the Reserve Bank of Australia aggressively tightening rates over the past year. The bank meets again on Tuesday in Australia, with economists evenly split on the likely outcome. 13 see another quarter-point increase, 14 see the RBA staying on hold at 4.1%, traders pricing in a 60% chance of a pause. Inflation's running at 6%, currently well outside the RBA target range. The next set of quarterly inflation numbers are due in Australia on July 26, and this may encourage the RBA to stay on hold and wait until August. Tuesday's meeting is going to be a close call. Paul Allen, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia.
So along with Doug Krisner, Rashad Salamat will join us in a few moments. So quite a few interesting stories. We should mention Pan Gongsheng, who has been named the Communist Party chief for the PBOC. Not specifically named the PBOC governor yet, but that's the way that we're moving here. The thinking is that he will be made that. And also the thinking, which again is a little bit of an extrapolation, Doug, is that this is more of a continuity move than it is, hey, let's do something really fresh and really new. Now, that could ultimately happen, but at least the signals that we're getting at the moment is that this is more sort of steady as she goes thinking. Well, when it comes to the central bank here in the U.S., Brian, midweek, we're going to get to the uh, minutes from the last Fed meeting. This is kind of walking us up to the employment report that we're expecting in the U.S. on Friday. The numbers here are expected to show maybe moderate but still healthy job growth with an unemployment rate that's kind of holding at historically low levels, cooler wage gains, yeah, perhaps, fewer job vacancies. Where does this leave the Fed? I think that's the big question. And after that PCE data that we had last Friday for the month of May, maybe a little bit more tightening. How much more is the big question? Yeah, and the market seems to be going along its merry way. You mentioned the big rally on Friday with uh, the Nasdaq up one and a half percent, the S&P gaining one and a quarter percent. I really think one of the big questions here at the moment is, are the gains already in? I think uh, ner- investors are a little bit nervous. I mean, nobody wants to be you know, late to the party. Uh, and I think the key might be whether or not we're seeing the troughing of earnings. If earnings are in the process of troughing, then the P.E. multiples uh, will be able to come down as earnings actually lift. And it seems like the rally so far this year, Doug, has been about multiple expansion. And it might be tough for that to continue. So they really do need to see the earnings pick up. I think we have to mention this enthusiasm that seems relentless for anything related to artificial intelligence. That seemed to be the case on Friday with the semis up about 1.6%. NVIDIA shares higher by about uh, 3.6%. Apple now with a market capitalization of $3 trillion. And it, since the beginning of the year, nearly $5 trillion has been added to the value of companies within the NASDAQ 100. So the story, too, continues to be one of information technology. And the only sector that was, we didn't actually have many sectors that traded down. Let me just say it this way. Almost every sector, as far as the eye could see in the S&P 500, was higher on Friday. So it wasn't just information technology. You're right in pointing that out. It was still the best performing sector. But you had a number of other sectors up more than 1%. And I think for a lot of people, that broadening out of the story would be pleasing. Now it's time for Global News. All right, let's get right to Dan Schwartzman looking at President Biden with an important trip to Europe next week. Dan, what's the latest? Yeah, Brian, the White House says that Biden's going to head to Europe in a week to firm up ties with NATO allies. Now he's going to hold talks with UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak before he jets off to the 74th NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania. The president's going to finish off the trip with a stop in Finland for a gathering of Nordic leaders. The meetings come as tensions have risen in Russia after the two-day rebellion by the Wagner mercenary group led by their leader Yevgeny Prigozhin, who is now in exile in Belarus. Israel's going to buy 25 more F-35 fighter jets in a deal 
deal valued at $3 billion. The jets made by Lockheed Martin will be financed by U.S. military aid to the country. Interest in the stealth jet has risen significantly after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, with the Czech Republic, Republic ordering as many as 24 of the jets, while South Korea has indicated a willingness to purchase more as well. Israel will be expanding its F-35 fleet to three squadrons with the purchase, with 75 total planes. The Supreme Court will be tackling some more controversial cases this fall after ruling on affirmative action, student loan relief, and businesses opposing same-sex marriage. The court is scheduled to hear cases on whether people who are subject to domestic violence restraining orders are allowed to possess guns, as well as continued access to the abortion pill, Mifepristone. In an ABC News poll, 52% of respondents agreed with the Supreme Court ruling to stop the use of race in college admissions, while 32% disapproved. Along racial lines, a majority of whites and Asians approved, while Latino and Hispanic Americans were evenly split, with 52% of black Americans disapproving. Former Vice President and current GOP presidential candidate Mike Pence appearing on ABC's This Week with Jonathan Carl says it was the right decision. I think there was a time for affirmative action, John, uh, where to open the doors of our colleges and universities to minority students and particularly African-Americans who may have been denied access. But I think those days are over. Meanwhile, 45 percent agreed with the court's decision to reject the Biden administration's loan forgiveness plan, while 40 percent disapproved of the court's decision. Days after the expiration of their contract, thousands of hotel workers in Southern California are now officially on strike. Major hotels such as the Ritz-Carlton and JW Marriott in downtown Los Angeles were hit by the strike during one of the busiest weekends for travel in the entire U.S. The workers' union is seeking a hospitality workforce housing fund to combat rising living costs for its members. Some hotels, such as the Westin Bonaventure Hotel, which is the largest, by the way, in Los Angeles, reached a deal with workers the day before their contract expired, while other hotels are looking to finalize agreements. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Dan Schwartzman. This is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Rishad Salamat here in Hong Kong. We say good morning in Asia to our guest, Kamal Srikumar, president of Srikumar Global Strategies. And good day to you, Sri. Thanks very much good for morning, joining Brian. us. So, so we know that the central banks are hawkish. How close are we now to seeing the famous lagged effect of higher interest rates actually bite? I think the lagged effect of interest rates have started to bite, Brian. You saw that in March in the regional banking crisis in uh, the United States. And when um, Jerome Powell was asked that question in Madrid, when he spoke at the Bank of Spain, on Thursday he would not rule out another banking crisis. So clearly the Fed knows that having increased interest rates substantially and exposed a lot of regional banks which were paying very low interest rate on the deposits, they had now have one of two choices. 
they either have to continue to lose deposits or alternately pay a much higher interest rate and take a hit on earnings and neither of which is going to be good for the medium sized banking industry and that's what i think he's concerned about and rightly so but there's nothing he can do about it uh, so late in the game brian mm. um wishri i mean yeah sure but you know, that is also something you know uh, which will mean that you'd have also higher uh, cost to take out loans and therefore you know does the fed's job for it uh, in some ways uh yes it is going to be a much higher cost of taking out the loan and that means fewer people are going to be able to qualify for it rishad and i think what we will find is especially in the commercial real estate sector they are going to be starved of loans and the situation is already dire the uh, property owners are going to find that the rents are dropping tenants are leaving and at the same time when the interest rates are being set at a much higher pace so i think that's where i think the crisis is going to come we haven't seen the blast act yet it is probably 3 to 6 months away from today so I know that you tend to uh, to argue from the negative side. I'm I'm assuming that you think we're closer to seeing the reality of a hard landing than a soft landing. But I would like to get you to comment on some of the recent data that has been better than expected. We're talking about con- consumer sales growth itself, job uh, you know job sort of numbers generally, particularly in the unemployment claims, not looking that bad. Your thoughts? You're absolutely correct. Yeah, there, there has been a lot of good statistics which have come out on the employment front, consumer spending front, front, and last last week we saw that in consumer sentiment also being on the positive side. But what is different for this uh, situation, this part of the cycle, than compared with say 2007, 2008, is that you have had an immense amount of stimulus. both in the final months of the trump administration and the initial months of the biden administration and they are still percolating through the system and that in turn is keeping the labor force participation rate uh, low the unemployment rate low because you are not considered unemployed unless you seek a job and you don't want to seek a job if you are already very comfortable with your financial resources So I think those are what are delaying uh, the recession, Brian. But if you look at the Treasury market, the Treasury a two-year, two to ten-year yield curve has been inverted since last July. We are reaching peak inversion right now. This, yes, especially on Friday, and that is saying to me that recession is being delayed, but you are not being denied a recession. So that's the difference. I think we need to be aware of. the good news suggests to you that you're not at a recession here yet but the bond market is saying that the recession is indeed coming um, but inflation is coming down uh, ultimately shri so you know give it a bit of time uh, you can but how are you going to give it another 3 to 4 years time for it to reach the 2% target that's not well should you have a 2% target pardon me should you have a 2% target uh well you if you do not and you yes it's possible to declare victory at 4% which is roughly where the uh, fed's favorite inflation target happens to be but if you do that there there are going to be further distortions in the economy and the fed is not going to be able to keep its credibility saying 4% is the same as our old 2% 
the markets are going to ask, why have you changed your view on that? And that, Rishad, is, I think, the real problem of credibility that the Fed faces. Well, let me ask you a loftier question then, which is kind of central to what Rish asked you about uh, in terms of targets. It would seem that one of the things we're learning uh, throughout this process, because we don't see people out in the street. So one of the things that we're learning is it's better to have a job uh, than perhaps, you know, and endure a slightly higher inflation uh, than the reverse. I mean, I know that goes against, um, you know, basic um, orthodoxy, but, you know, you don't see people really as angry about inflation as they do about losing their job. And they're not losing the job at the moment. Uh, the question, it, it all depends on what kind of people you ask that question of. If you're asking people in low and middle income groups, they are big sufferers from the high inflation rate. As you go higher up the income scale, uh, the high income people are able to protect themselves from inflation because you can invest in the stock market, you can get bonds which provide you inflation protection, and you are better off. But in terms of the unemployment, it is also affecting people in the lower income groups, but now you also find that the unemployment is rising to the technology side. There are people who are being laid off who used to be earning a very high level of income. So I think it is a bit too soon mm. to say that inflation is not a problem because I think it is a problem on, at, a, at a lower income level, Brian. And I think that's why the Biden administration has been very careful they talk about the advantages, the benefits they've got on the employment side, but they don't push what they see taking place on the inflation front. But that's going to become more important as the elections come nearby. Well, well sure. It's, I mean, they got to do a mandate. So, yeah, Rich. Exactly. Yep. So uh, the dollar continues its march. What's the deal? Well, look at what the, uh, I'm glad you raised uh, the issue of the dollar, Rich. June 14th, when... Uh, Powell had a press conference out of Washington, D.C., and he told people he's really going to increase interest rates in the future. The dollar actually sank. He did not believe him. But in the last couple of days after his speeches in uh, Sintra, Portugal, and then Thursday in, in Spain, uh, the dollar actually got a gain because it realizes that once he was pushed by other central bank heads to be hawkish, he has to do something July 26th. He has to increase interest rates. And therefore, the dollar, I think the dollar reaction is a very accurate reflection of what the market thinks. They did not believe his hawkish rhetoric on June 14th. They think he was forced to be more, uh, more hawkish last week. But we'll wait and see which, who is the real Jerome Powell. I, I really don't know whether he's a hawkish or a dovish chairman. The, the, the Bloomberg dollar spot index is basically sideways for most of this year, and it's actually down pretty sharply over the last nine months or so. So I'm not, I'm not sure that there's a real strong story being told by the dollar. I'll give you 30 seconds to counter that. Yep, you're right. In the, in the medium term, it has been coming down, as you said, Brian. That is because the other central banks have been more hawkish than the Fed. Yeah, recently. fair point. Yeah. But in the last month, I think the way what we see is the dollar has also very quickly reacted within two or three days to each development. So I think, I, I think both of them can coexist uh, without being mutually inconsistent. 
Mm. We gotta we gotta get you on for the whole hour sometime. We'll see if we can uh, <laughs> Thank yeah, you. engineer I that. I'm not Brian. sure you'd give us the time, but we always enjoy it. Thank you, Sri. That's Kamal Sri Kumar, president of Sri Kumar Global Strategies, with us live on his Sunday, my Monday. In fact, mine and Rish's. We're here on a Monday morning, and this is Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio. 